Good morning. It's good to be here. It is good to gather in God's house to worship Him. Uh, just a couple of announcements. Uh, if, and for those of you, it's good to have it's good to see some different faces today. It's good to have everybody that's here back. Um, but uh, you'll notice the bulletin changed up. Our bulletin supplier no longer gives us the nice little devotional on the back. So announcements are actually on the back of the bulletin now. But a couple of uh, announcements that we have. We will have a special collection next week for the Ronsevert Food Pantry. Um, if you write a check for that, please make the check out to Fairly ARP Church, and we will um, aggregate all those and send one check to them from the church. We'll have some special, um, probably those glass boots that we have back there. We'll have them out next to where the uh, the baskets for the tithes and offerings are so that you can put your food pantry um, gift in that. So please be thinking about that and preparing for that for next week. Once again, um, we'll be collecting for the Ronsevert Food Pantry. Also, the other announcement that I have there is that the elders have called for a day of prayer um, for our church on the fourth Thursday of each month, and that will be this coming Thursday, the 25th. Um, I will be emailing out and also posting on the Facebook page a prayer guide I have a little bit less than a handful of prayer guides right there. Um, if you do not have email or if I do not regularly send you an email. Um, so you can pick up one of those there. Um, I'll send it. Uh, it'll come from the same email that the weekly sermons come from. So if you don't receive those or you're not on the Facebook play page, excuse me, please grab one of those there. Um, women's Bible study should be coming up soon, right? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so the book is Holiness by Nancy Lee DeMoss. It might even be Nancy Lee DeMoss Wolgamuth now. But um, uh, and for those of you that were there last winter when we had to stop for the coronavirus stuff, um, you may already have the book. So double check that. Also, men, we are going to start a Bible study on Wednesday evenings as well. Um, and I have more information on that in the next week or so as to what that's going to look like and um, 
uh, how we'll meet and what we'll be studying. So any other announcements today? Well, if not, our call to worship today comes from Psalm 62, verses 1 through 8. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down? This leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Let us pray. Triune God of rest, we come before you today seeking peace from the weariness of living in this world. Our enemies, your enemies, seek our destruction. They spread lies about your people and refuse to listen to your truth. They seek to topple your church from the foundation of stone upon which it is built. They lie and pretend to be supportive of those who call upon your holy name, but they seek destruction in the dark. Lord God, we know that rest is only found in the Son who is gentle and lowly and offers a light burden and an easy yoke. And we have come into this place today seeking your rest and a reminder of your presence with us. We are here to worship. We are here to know the reality that you are with us, the reality that you will never leave nor forsake us. As we come into your presence today, fill us with the comfort and peace of your presence. And remind us that you hear when we call, especially according to the way that you have taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please take Bible songs. God has given us the gift of music. He has done this to show an aspect of his beauty and to help teach us the truths that we learn from his word. Bible song 122 reminds us of our total dependence upon God for salvation from sin and salvation from the attacks of the world and the powers and the principalities of the air. So let us stand and join with me as we sing Bible song 122, Dependence Upon God for Salvation.
Please be seated. In Psalm 11, we are told that the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who does violence. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Let us take some time to confess silently our sins before the Lord. Lift up your heads and hear these words of assurance from Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Our New Testament reading today comes from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Brothers, my heart desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. 
Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Malachi 3 In Malachi 3, God promises blessing and preservation for his people when they willingly and joyfully give to him. This is part of our reasonable act of worship to God for all that he has done and will do for us. So search your hearts today and see how you may give cheerfully and faithfully to God. great God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, we humbly bring our tithes and offerings to you today. You have promised to bless those who give to your work. Bless what has been given and throw open the floodgates of blessing on these people in this church through our use of these tithes and offerings for your glory and your purposes. In Jesus' holy name, amen. In the hymn book, hymn number 314 reminds us once again, of our complete dependence upon Jesus for life with God. 
Do we seek reconciliation with God? We depend on Jesus for that. Do we seek holiness and sanctification? We completely depend upon Jesus for that. Let us drive the truth of our dependence on Jesus further into our hearts by singing hymn number 314, Christ of all my hopes, the ground. Please be seated. So for our profession of what we believe, please take your bulletins today. Uh, We're going to mix it up a little bit and use the Nicene Creed today rather than the Apostles' Creed. It starts out very similar, but then it takes um, a little bit different turn. So please uh, be aware of that. The Nicene Creed was first drafted in the Council of Nicaea as it sought to solidify the doctrine that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And it found, uh, apart from a couple revisions throughout church history, it found its final form in the Council of Chalcedon um, several years later. So as we profess this creed, the Nicene Creed, consider the reality and importance of Jesus' full divinity and full humanity for our salvation. So church, what do you believe? We believe in one God and Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. 
and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all words, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us unconscious Pilate. He suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with the glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified who spoke by the prophets, and we believe in one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen and amen. couple updates on our prayer list as we go along. Please remember Natalie Wade. Um, she's a young lady that we've been praying for for a while, With uh, was diagnosed with cancer. They found another tumor, and she'll be going in on Thursday for a biopsy. So um, please keep Natalie in your prayers and, and her mom and her sisters as well. Um, Kimberly Pearson is doing much better, um, healing up. They hope to possibly be with us next week once again, but uh, we praise God that she is doing much better and we continue to pray for her continued healing. Are there any updates or prayer requests? Betty's man, Mandy doing well? Good. We'll continue to pray for her. Okay. All right. And do lift up Janie as she's having a, an episode with her, just her ongoing uh, issues. So please be praying for her as well. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our great God, the, the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you today in awe of your immutability, your unchanging and unchangeable nature. We take for granted the fact that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We forget that you are the God who was, who is, and who is to come. Yet all of our hopes rest in the fact that you are true and do not change. You have adopted us as sons and daughters, and that status as child heirs will not change because you do not change. You have promised that we will live in eternity with you. And that cannot change because you cannot change. You have promised that you will never leave nor forsake us. And that promise is yes and amen in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, because you do not change. All of your promises are secure in your unchangeable nature, and we worship you for that. 
Please help us, your holy people, find confidence, assurance, and rest in the knowledge and declaration of your immutability. Forgive us for forgetting your nature in the midst of our difficult lives. We are such fickle and wishy-washy creatures. Our affections and allegiances change with the twinkling of an eye. Our promises often dissolve like dust in the wind as our loyalties shift like the outgoing tides or the eroding riverbank. Forgive us for forgetting our holy and beloved status before you so quickly whenever the scorching winds of this sinful and broken world blow across our paths. Help us grow more and more like you, holding to the path of sanctification, of holiness that you have placed before us, living out your call to holiness through the holiness that is ours in Jesus and through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. God and Father, we thank you for the cross. You promised Eve that one of her seed would crush the head of the serpent while being bruised on the heel. In the dark days of the cross, it seemed as though the serpent had won. But that was a mere bruising of Jesus' heel and the crushing of the serpent's head. Our own dark, sinful pasts were crushed on the cross. Our own sinful desires were put to death. Thank you for reconciling us to you through the cross. Thank you that our salvation is dependent upon your unchanging faithfulness. Thank you that my ever-changing nature has no bearing on my hope before you. Remind us, O God, that we have the power and authority of the Holy Spirit to be your witnesses on this earth, in this community. What a wonderful gift you have given to your people. The Holy Spirit empowers us to speak your gospel and to live a holy life before a watching world. Your Holy Spirit brings your word to our mind when we need it so that we can proclaim the good news of your gospel. Oh, that we would be driven to commit that word to our hearts so that we can proclaim that good news to a blind world. Oh, that we would desire to speak your good news of life to a dying world. That we would seek to speak your good news of freedom to a world enslaved to sin and damnation. Rather, we stand gaping at the sky like your disciples on that day that Jesus ascended to your throne room where he resides today. We forget a dying world around us as we try to interpret the headlines to figure out the day and time of your return, forgetting that you said that such knowledge was the Father's and not ours. We huddle in this room fearful of a world that hates you, forgetting that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim boldly to that world the good news of the gospel. Lord, we do lift up the needs today that have been presented before us. We thank you that Kimberly and Mandy are doing better, and we pray for continued healing and treatment for them. We pray for Natalie and her family. We pray for uh, effective treatment for Natalie and peace and comfort in their lives and and strength for her mom and her sisters as they seek to care for her and strength for her friends as well as they lift her up in prayer and as they seek to walk this difficult road with her. Lord, we pray for our government. We ask that you give our president, the Congress, and the Supreme Court your wisdom and the desire to rule according to your will in this country. Prepare us to live in a culture that is increasingly hostile to living according to your laws and increasingly hostile to your people. May we find comfort and peace in your unchanging nature 
as we seek to live faithfully in an ever-changing world around us. You, Holy Father, are our God, and we cry out to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. We are once again in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. We'll be here today and again next week. We are looking at spiritual gifts. And remember, spiritual gifts are gracious gifts of the triune God by which he builds his kingdom in this world. And we're looking at the spiritual gifts in two broad subjects of the gifts of service, which we looked at last week, and the gifts of speaking, which we will look at this week. So please read along with me as I read from 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. God above, you have chosen to use words and language to reveal yourself to us in a special way. Guide us as we consider some of these words today. Teach us as we look at how you, through the Holy Spirit, have gifted some of us to speak and teach those words. Give us humility as we look at your word and realize that the scriptures shine your holy light into our lives, exposing our pride, our desires, and our sins. Show us as well where your word shows us the cleansing work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit given to us so that we might pursue holiness. In Jesus' name. Amen. We looked at last week the gifts of service and talked about how um, there are some who are especially called to serve uh, the the church through acts of uh, physical relief, through acts of encouragement and, and acts of faith. And today I want us to look at the gift of speaking and how God calls certain people to speak on his behalf. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, as we began to look at uh, the spiritual gifts, there are certain gifts that we are not going to consider um, as we look at these things. Some of them are sign gifts, and and if they're still um, within, if they are still active within the church, they are gifts that you will know very clearly whether or not you have them, um, because they will be accompanied by other gifts and because they are very visible gifts. There are two gifts today that we're going to look at that that I know are not active within the church anymore. That's the gift of apostles and prophecy. Now, apostle in its most basic form means one who is sent out. But we know that there were certain men who were gifted as apostles in the early church. And what was their specific role within the early church? They were given the gift of speaking which we'll look at a little bit more here as we go along. 
but they were given the gift of speaking speaking in a very specific context. They were to take the Old Testament, interpret it in light of, of the cross, in light of the life and righteousness and work of Jesus, and then give us new revelation from God. And that revelation has ceased. And so there are no longer active apostles within the church. Yes, we are all sent out. So in that term, we, we apostle. But the gift of apostle has ceased within the church because we no longer have any new revelation. What does Jesus say through John at the end of the book of Revelation? He echoes words from Deuteronomy that if anyone adds to or takes away from these words, specifically the book of Revelation, but through good and necessary work of interpretation, we can apply that backward to the rest of the scriptures as well. If anyone adds to those, may he be cursed, may he be anathema. And the prophets, as an office, as a gift, although... There is a sense in which prophecy still occurs within the church, but the actual gift or office of prophecy um, has ceased as well because they were given the same role as inspired prophets of God presenting scripture to the people of God. And so while we will reference those gifts, um, while we will take bits and pieces of those gifts, those offices, and apply them to current offices within the church, those gifts, those offices no longer exist within the church. So how was that for a gripping introduction to a sermon on the speaking gifts? So let's jump into that. We're going to do follow the same outline we followed last week. We're going to look at the gift of speaking, and then we're going to look at some examples of that gift as it exists within the church today. First, the gift of speaking. Peter writes about the gift of speaking. He says, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. Peter here is not merely talking about the gift of gab. He is not merely talking about the person who can fill any silence with words. Uh, the word for speaks in 1 Peter 4.11 is a word that includes a level of expertise in the words that are spoken. As, it, as this word developed meaning throughout the history of language, it began merely as to describe somebody who collected stuff. And then as it grew in its usage, it began to be acquainted with someone who spoke about what they collected. And eventually it became associated with someone who spoke on a subject which they knew a lot about. It, you guys ever talk to somebody that's really passionate about a hobby that they have? Maybe it's woodworking or maybe it's collecting uh, paperweights. I remember Ray Snyder, when I was growing up, he was an elder in the church in which I grew up, and he collected paperweights. In fact, I have one of them in my office that he gifted to me. And you could ask, now, when I think of paperweight, it just happens to be whatever's heavy in my pocket I can set on top of a piece of paper so it doesn't blow out of my truck. Whenever it goes, but these are uh, these are works of art, basically these pieces of glass, and and he could take one of these and he could he could look at it and he could tell you exactly how it was made and and if he if he was if he knew the origin of it he would tell you about these different paperweights that he owned and that he collected. That's the idea there that we are so passionate about something that God gifts us with a spiritual passion to learn so much 
about a body of knowledge that he also gifts us to be able to speak about it. I mentioned the apostles earlier in the New Testament. They are probably the greatest example of someone who has the gift of speaking, although the gift of speaking was not limited to the apostles. Stephen, Philip, Aquila, and Priscilla are examples of people who exercise the gift of speaking, but they were not apostles. But the, the requirements to be an apostle as they looked to replace Judas was somebody who had sat under teaching of Jesus, who had, who had witnessed the, resurrect, the resurrected Christ and, and who, who t- was able to take the teaching and the knowledge that Jesus had given to them and to give it to the church in a way that met their needs for salvation and met their need to be driven to work and to pursue holiness. As I mentioned, because they were going about the inspired work of writing new scriptures, uh, and this canon is closed, we no longer have apostles, but we do still have people like Stephen, like Philip, like Aquila and Priscilla, Um, who are given the gift of speaking within the church. Uh, Oftentimes we know who those people are because they, they take speaking roles. But as we consider the idea of people gifted with a body of knowledge that they are able to talk about, I want to look at some of the examples of the speech gifts. I'm going to stop real quick here, actually, before I give examples of speech gifts and remind us, each and every one of us, of something. You may not have a speech gift within the church, but you are still called to acquire the body of knowledge necessary to, as Peter says earlier in this letter, to give a valid defense for what it is that you believe, to be able to explain what it is that you believe to somebody who asks you, Just because you may not have the gift of speech or a speaking gift does not mean that you are not called at times to speak. Just as those who may not have a gift of service will not be called at times to serve. These gifts oftentimes work together. In fact, we're going to look next week as we as we kind of bring this to a close. We're going to look at one command to the church that Peter gives that will actually meld together the gifts of service and the gifts of speaking to where if you have a gift of service, one half of it will be easier for you than the speaking part, where if you have the gift of speech, that part may be easier for you than the service part. But each and every one of us is called to serve. Each and every one of us is called at times to speak. Those different things come easier for some based upon gifting. So in light of that, let's consider some examples of speech. In 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, Paul mentions those who distinguish between the spirits. This is typically, if you were to take one of those spiritual gift inventories that we talked about a couple weeks ago, you would see this on the list at the end as the gift of discernment. Distinguishing spirits is the ability to weigh teaching and to determine if the teaching is from God or from the devil. Once again, we should all be about the work of weighing teaching that we hear, whether from the pulpit or whether on television or whether in books that we read. But some people are gifted with the ability to see and to sift the, the, the chaff from the wheat and to be able to point out clearly what is good, godly teaching and what comes from the devil. 
If you listen to a teaching and you just think, wow, uh, that's just something not quite right about that. That may either be a sign that you have sat under good teaching for a period, or it may be a sign that you have the gift of discernment or the ability to distinguish between spirits. Next is exhortation. Romans 12, 6 through 8, in Paul's list of gifts there, he mentions the gift of exhortation. It's a dual process on one hand of bringing comfort to somebody, and on the other hand, bringing them admonishment, bringing them reproof or correction, two things that we don't oftentimes think go together. I mean, I'm not often com- oftentimes comforted when I am corrected. But the person who exhorts has the ability to take that gospel message, that gospel message that does marry comfort and correction together, and to bring it to somebody in such a way that is clear, that is understand, that is understandable, and brings a life change in somebody's life. We don't like to be corrected. But it's nice to know that when God does bring somebody to us who needs to bring correction to us, he's also bringing somebody to us who can bring comfort in the midst of that correction. The gospel, the gospel confronts me with the reality of my sin. The gospel confronts me with the reality that I'm, I am a rebel against God. The gospel confronts me with the reality that more often than not, I think my sarcasm is a spiritual gift. But at the same time, that was funny, you guys can laugh. (laughs) But at the same time, the gospel comforts me with the knowledge that my sin has been paid for on the cross. And that that confrontation of sin in my life comes with the love of God as he is seeking to make me more holy as he is holy as he is seeking to bring me more and more into conformity with the image of God as it is found in our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. And God gifts people at times with the gift of exhortation. It's not just critical nature. It's that ability to confront sin in somebody and yet bring comfort in the midst of that confrontation. Teaching. God gifts some people with teaching, the people who build on the inspired work of the prophets and apostles to expose God's will through the scriptures. Somebody who is able to take what oftentimes can be confusing, oftentimes can be difficult to read and to understand, and yet can take it, interpret it, and bring it back to us in a way that is clear, that is concise, and that exposes to us the will that God has for us in our lives. Teachers are uninspired prophets, according to one commentator. The goal of the prophets was to bring God's word and God's will to the people. And in that way, teachers do very much the same thing, but without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Somebody who is gifted with teaching within the church today, you're not you might write their stuff down, you might publish it in a book, but it is still subservient to scripture. It is not the inspired word of God. Another example that Paul gives us is the evangelist. One who proclaims the good news to the lost or to the saved. 
This is an area where we are all called to service for God, but thanks be to God, He gifts some people with the ability, um, even though we're all called. Thankfully, there are people out there, not as an excuse for me not to evangelize, but thankfully there are people out there that God has gifted in such a way that it just comes easy to them. That it just rolls off their tongue. And they have the ability to proclaim the gospel, the good news of salvation to the lost or even to the saved. Because sometimes we need the gospel as well. We need to be reminded of our status before God in Jesus Christ. The next is the leader or administrator. The task of the leader is in large measure that of pastoral care And the emphasis is not on their rank or authority, but on their efforts for the eternal salvation of the believer. The word that Paul uses for administrator in the scriptures is literally helmsman or ship's pilot. In a ship, where typically is the helmsman? It's in the back. Ever notice that? In most older ships that have a rudder, uh, in the ships, at least of this time period, the, the helmsman, the, the ship's pilot would be at the back steering the rudder, leading through service as well, uh, being the shepherd of the people. It's, it's related to the next gift that we'll look at here in a few minutes. But it's not just an office. It's not just a place of prominence or a place of importance. It is a place of care and service through leadership of the church. One theological dictionary says that the importance of the helmsman or the pilot increases in a time of storm. You want somebody gifted in leadership and in shepherding the church. And of course, that leads us to the next gift, the last gift that we are going to look at. And that is the pastor teacher. Paul lists this in Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 is the way the the language is is constructed there. It's not a pastor and a teacher. It is the pastor teacher. Pastor in other places in the New Testament is is translated shepherd. And it's an office. It's a special office of teaching that is tasked with the care of the congregation, the task with seeking the loss and tasked with combating heresy. And it's interesting that there is a blurring of lines between leader and administrator and the pastor teacher, the shepherd teacher. And I I think that works out very well in our form of government here in that we have elders and a minister in this church in addition to the deacons, which we discussed last week under the, the gifts of service. Because the leader, administrator, the shepherd, teacher work together in that pastor and elder role to lead the church in the service of the word and in the service of prayer. Excuse me. We looked last week at Acts chapter six and that conflict that raised itself within the church and the, the, the Grecian Widows came to the apostles and said, we are not being treated fairly in the distribution of money and food. 
And the apostle looked at him and said, you're absolutely right. And then they took an extra responsibility on themselves, right? No, they didn't. They appointed a group of people to take care of the physical needs of the church, to take care of serving the tables of the church so that they could serve the tables of word and prayer. And it is the pastor and the elders that work together to shepherd the church, that work together to care for the congregation, to seek the lost in the community, and to combat false teaching within the church. There's another difference between the gifts of speaking and the gifts of service. It's not just a matter of the gifts of service oftentimes being behind the scenes, oftentimes being seen to deal with the physical needs of the church and of the community, while the, the, the speaking gifts oftentimes are in the forefront and are dealing with the spiritual health of the church and the community. The other difference is that the speaking gifts come with a warning. Many of us desire the speaking gifts. But James says this in James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because we know, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to, able to keep his whole body in check. You know, I pray for people within this church to have the gift of discernment, the ability to distinguish between spirits, because I do not fit the qualification there in verse 2 of perfect man. And James says clearly that not many should presume to teach or to speak. I think this could very uh, uh, accurately be applied to all the speaking gifts because we will be judged much more strictly. While we are not inspired, those who stand before you and teach, we are dealing with the inspired Word of God. And James warns, God through James warns that those who presume to teach will be held to a higher standard. If you think that God has called you to teach, do not take it lightly. Do not think that just because you have reached a certain level of knowledge that you are comfortable speaking about, that you have reached the pinnacle of what you need to know. That is called presumption. And when we presume upon God, especially in the speaking and teaching of His Word, we are walking on very shaky ground. We're going to talk here in a few minutes about some things that you can do if you think you might have a gift of speaking. But before we get to that, I, I, leave, I give you this warning. God takes the teaching and preaching of His Word very seriously. God takes the teaching of His Word very seriously. And that goes for Sunday school teachers. That goes for preachers. That goes for fathers 
as well. And husbands, as you are called to teach God's word within your family. May we not presume upon God as we teach. So the speaking gifts are not just the gift of gab. They are the gifting that God has given to us in order to be able to proclaim His Word and His good news into a lost and dying world. And I'll say it again, even though you may not be called or gifted, excuse me, even though you may not be gifted to teach, there will be times when you are called to do so. Even if it's just within your family. Actually, you know what? That's probably the most important place to do it. Is to be teaching within your family. Husbands, be teaching your wives. Fathers, be teaching your children. Grandfathers, be teaching your grandchildren. But sometimes we are all called to do things like making disciples and evangelism. But God does gift some of us in different ways. So how do we exercise these gifts here in this church? Well, to quote the title from a book by Kevin DeYoung, just do something. Teach or evangelize, or if you have opportunity to exhort, exhort. But before you do any of those things, learn. I think one of the things that sets apart people who have the gift of speaking is a passion for learning God's truth as well. It's a passion for digging into the Scriptures, not just for knowledge's sake, but to have your own heart changed, And to be able to present that word in such a way that it changes the hearts, that God uses it to change the hearts of other people. If you think you have the gift of teaching, but you have no desire to study, you may not have the gift of teaching. It's a harsh thing to say. But we have two teachers in the room, two actual school teachers in the room. What if you stopped studying today? How effective of a teacher would you be? How much more if we are called to teach in God's house should we desire to learn from Him? Let us pray. Our God and Father above, You have gifted some of us to speak. And we thank You for that gifting. Empower us through the Holy Spirit to be faithful to the call that You have given to not be found wanting when we are judged more strictly, but to be found faithful. And help us to rely on the work of the one who was faithful in our place when we stumble, when we fall. Lord, I pray for each of us in this place that you would grow a desire within us to learn the truths of your word from your word especially those who you will call for the gifts of speech. Help us to desire knowledge that we can then give to others to bring the hope of the gospel into their lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your hymn book and turn to hymn number 213. Throughout John's visions and revelation, there are images of the saints gathered around the God's throne, 
singing praises to the triune God. And in the singing of crown him with many crowns, we have the opportunity to join our voices now with that never ending song of praise, a song that will never be drowned out. So join me as we worship the worthy king, this lamb that was slain and the living lion as we sing hymn number 213, crown him with many crowns. carry a message that the world sees as foolish and offensive. And it can be difficult to proclaim truth to a world that does not believe that truth exists. But we are called to go. So as you go and proclaim, take this blessing with you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We cry out with the saints of old, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.